No matter where you are in your wellness journey, immune support is crucial. That's why you need quality immune support that you can trust. Nature's Way Sambucus is the elderberry brand that you can count on to provide quality, traditional immune support. We pick our elderberries at their peak to deliver an elderberry extract rather than a juicer or powder so you know you're getting the best of what nature has to offer. Find your way to well with quality immune support from Nature's Way Sambucus. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. set you free. Happy Tuesday. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk. We thank those of you listening on radio, on stream, on podcast. We also thank those of you watching on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Periscope on Twitter. Good to be with you today. We have not one but two great guests about two very timely topics, and the first is near and dear to my heart. First up, we're going to be talking to Vijay Lamaye. Uh, he is an advisor to the NRDC Action Fund, whose mission is to build political support for protecting the planet and its people. And, and before I talk to Vijay, I just want to be very clear why this matters so much to me right now. And so Vijay knows. I am sitting less than two miles from the Bobcat fire. One week ago today, fire and police, first responders, drove up my street with huge megaphones and told us, prepare to evacuate. We were told we had 30 minutes. My husband was away at work. I got the kids and bags and dogs and started to think about what, what matters to me, like a cassette tape of my dad's voice or pictures. Right outside my door right now, you would have to wear a mask, not because of COVID, but because you can't breathe right outside my front door right now. No joke. I have ash all over my car, my yard, my pool. I can't send my kids outside. And when we bring the dog outside to relieve himself, we got to be quick. So when people talk, when a president talks, an administration talks about or against science, it matters to me. It matters to me as a voter, it matters to me as a human being, and it matters to me as a mother of two kids who can't play in my backyard because the smoke is so thick, can't see the sun properly, it's a distorted color. Wild animals all over the place, which that's nice to see. But good to have with us VJ Lamaye. Uh, VJ, like I said, is advisor to the NRDC Action Fund. Uh, VJ, welcome. Thank you for joining us this afternoon and for taking the time. Sorry to cut into your time a bit there. I wanted you and our listeners to know what I am literally physically sitting in and up against. Um, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, use word, you know, weird terms, but Donald Trump, our president has clearly fanned the flames of climate crisis, crisis, and I'm just sitting in one of many fires that is burning not just here in California, but throughout the whole West. When we look at the state of Washington, we look at the state of Oregon and numerous places uh, in uh, in California. Is is it fair to say that the, the president is throwing gasoline on this situation? 
Unfortunately, that is absolutely the case. Donald Trump, as Joe Biden said, is a true climate arsonist. We are seeing right now very clearly the consequences of years and really decades of denial and delay and distraction on the climate crisis. And I want to just start by sending my heartfelt thoughts to you and everybody on the West Coast who's coping with this unprecedented crisis. This is an apocalyptic situation. We've heard people across the West Coast who are just scared out of their wits, given everything that's going on. They were already stressed with a pandemic and temperatures out there in California exceeding 120 degrees Fahrenheit in recent weeks. And that climate link, the warming, the drought, the earlier snowmelt is all contributing to unprecedented fire risk across that region. You know, when I was a little girl, I grew up in Boston, and I remember a science teacher once telling me, you know, someday people from Miami will be coming here to get to escape the cold. And of course, I rolled dumb, crazy, scientific nerd professor, right, or teacher. Um, But right now, Gina McCarthy, president of your organization, the NRDC, NRDC uh, Action Fund, who was also a former EPA administrator, she wrote, and I want to quote, because when I read this, I feel this. I really do. The West Coast is burning. And and I just want to say, I've lived in California for about 20 years. I've lived in Northern California years before uh, and in L.A., Uh, For I came here in the year 2000, so 20 years. I've lived throughout the country. I've lived through hurricanes and earthquakes and all of this. And when I would see that parts of California are burning, it wasn't that I wasn't empathetic, but I truly didn't understand. I am not kidding when I say I wake up coughing in my bedroom with no windows open from the smoke that permeates my home. And I have not been evacuated. And I spoke to the fire department this morning when I just drove down the street to get some Starbucks Mm -hmm. um, for me and my kids. She said, quote, the West is burning. Toxic smoke is choking the air from the canyons of Los Angeles to the Puget Sound. And a stunned nation is struggling to make sense of scenes of the Golden Gate Bridge against what looks like the skyscape of Mars. No kidding. The the pictures, my brother-in-law lives in Northern California. It, it, it doesn't it looks surreal. It looks like the fake backdrop I have right now behind me, you know, um, Mother Nature's message is clear. Climate change has arrived and we must act now, whether it's Mother Nature, whether it's God, whether it's the universe. You, you know, there's a point if somebody smokes for years and then you go to the doctor and they say you have lung cancer and you were ignoring the warning label on the side of cigarettes. Right. That's tantamount to what we are doing as a society now, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, the degree of just utter disbelief, I feel, with the President Trump who continues to deny the established scientific fact of climate change, which is now visible to every American from coast to coast. Just as we're seeing, you know, more than five million acres burn out west, we're also seeing the signs of the climate crisis in other parts of the country. You know, this summer we're seeing the earliest named storms. Uh, We're already at the letter V in hurricane season, and we're not even done with that season, nor are we done with fire season. The evidence of the climate harms that scientists like me have been warning about for years is here. It's, It's right before our very eyes. We are choking on the smoke. You know, we've done work at NRDC showing that the area actually impacted by wildfire smoke is as much as 50 times larger than the area directly burned by the flames. That means we've got hundreds of millions of Americans right now breathing toxic, polluted air that worsens also risks from 
severe complications from the coronavirus. So we're seeing these overlapping, cascading, force-multiplying effects of the climate crisis. And now is the time to act. We have to get President Trump out of office and elect Joe Biden to save ourselves and save our climate. We need a president. I, I mean, quite frankly, I would vote for a Republican if they believed in science over a Democrat, I think. Look, my, my husband checks the air quality because he is concerned because he's mm -hmm. a surgeon. He checks his air all the time because he deals with COVID patients all the time. And um, today, our air is 200. Okay. So yeah. 100%, just so everybody knows, is normal. And anything over that is much worse. And, um, or I mean, no, not a hundred. We, we were, I don't know, at 67, we've just skyrocketed to 200. It's right. bad. I mean, it's when, when it's sort of like, I'm not going to go to my mailbox. That, that's how bad it is right at the edge of my driveway. There are dozens of, you know, this goes further than wow, Leslie Marshall and her family have some smoke. I'm blessed. I have my home. I have my electricity. I have my internet. I have my job. My husband has his job. My kids have school. I have that roof over my head. I have food. I have clothes. I have a new puppy that's driving me crazy. But um, other than that, there are the, the, all, all joking aside, there are dozens of people that have died. There are hundreds of thousands of people that have had to flee their homes. And believe me, it's not easy. I have one cousin who lives on the coast here. All my family's on the East Coast. And although I have friends, it's hard to say, hey, can four of us and a dog come and stay with you for we don't know how long, question mark. Um, when uh, Millie, my my daughter asked me yesterday, mom, how big is an acre? And I have what's considered a lot of land in California, but most of it is on a hill because I'm at the top of a hill. And I said, well, we have a quarter of an acre. So four times what we have is one. And she went, wow, because we look at the thousands of acres just from Bobcat. But if you look at the wildfires right. in California, all the way from South and San Diego, all the way up the coast to Washington State in the Cascades, you're talking about Five million acres. This affects the air we breathe. This affects our wildlife. This affects the food chain. This affects the water we drink. Uh, this affects jobs. This affects homes. And certainly this affects lives with uh, illness. We saw two helicopters yesterday with stretchers dangling. And we knew two firefighters were taken out of there. And, and, and it's so, you're walking out of Best Buy and you're looking up and you're thinking, oh my God, that person may not make it. You know, I mean, this is very, very real. What bothers me, and I'd love for you to speak to this, VJ, is, you know what? We're going to take a break. I'm sorry. I went, oh, oh yeah, we have, a, we have a hard break here, so I got to shut up. When we come back, I want you to speak to the president being in the state of California and what you feel he did. Because as a voter and as a Californian, as a resident, I think it was lip service. This is an epic American disaster. You right. said it. It's Armageddon, quite frankly. It is, we're, we're living in a, a, a horror film, but it's mm -hmm. real life. We'll be yeah. back with our guests. We'll be back with you right after this. Don't go away. VJ Lamaye is an advisor to the NRDC Action Fund. Uh, please uh, stick around. We're going to talk with him more right after this. And you, don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back with CJ Lamaye, who is an advisor to the NRDC Action Fund. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome back. Their mission is to build political support for protecting the planet and its people. 
Uh, many of you probably saw my governor, Gavin Newsom, get into it with President Trump here on the West Coast in uh, California. Uh, Vijay, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, when the president visited here, he refused to acknowledge uh, the role that climate change has played in these fires that are still burning and that are setting records. Um, and uh, it, it, it's not surprising. I mean, if you look at the way he approached COVID-19 from a very non-scientific uh, point, um, uh, you know, to this, I, I just don't get it, though, VJ. And, and you know why I don't get it? Who wanting clean air to breathe, right. wanting clean water to drink, wanting to leave a cleaner planet for our children and our children's children shouldn't be about Democrat or Republican. It should be about human. It shouldn't have a political bend to it. I, I just I don't get two plus two is four. Why are we arguing that? Science is, okay, there are hypotheses and theories, but largely fact-based. And when you have the international greatest minds in the scientific community all agreeing, it you know, it's it, it's pretty much, yeah, the earth is round. Um, so why why do you think there is this pushback, not just from the president, but from Republicans and conservatives? Because, you know, I, I, I read a piece, I can't remember who it was by, on how how like God and science can coexist. You know what I mean? Like you can believe in God and you can be a strong Christian, but you can also believe in climate change. It doesn't change God's role uh, right. in the universe and in creation. Right. You know, increasingly we're seeing a disconnect between the American public, which more and more recognizes the reality that's all around us in vivid display right now, that the climate crisis is an emergency and it's not a planet problem, it's a people problem, right? We're talking about profound human suffering, deaths, illness, and destruction of entire communities linked to this problem that we know how to get ourselves out of. So we have the American public increasingly understanding that the climate crisis is here, it's not some distant future threat, and yet we have Republicans and President Trump certainly hanging on to the last vestiges of a failing, declining fossil fuel industry, trying to wring every last dollar and cent out of fossil fuels, the same fuels that are driving the climate crisis. It's an insane level of corruption and political favors to a industry that is in clear decline and that is contributing to these unprecedented climate risks and chaos around the country. When when people like you, scientists and, and others at the NRDC and elsewhere um, talk about, hey, we have to act boldly, we have to right. act quickly. What actions are you talking about? What If if Joe Biden were elected president, God willing, in, in, in November, if he's elected president, and it's going to be a very tight race, no landslide either way, uh, it's possible he'll win, it's possible he'll lose. When you look at the numbers, it's pretty 50-50, which is really a sad state uh, of reflection of our nation. But that uh, aside, I digress. When we talk about acting boldly, acting quickly, if Joe Biden were president and he said, VJ, advise me what to do with climate change, what would you advise him as a leader, a world leader to do? You know, the first thing that we need to do, the bare minimum, is that we need a president like Joe Biden who will understand that the climate crisis is not just one specific issue, right? We've seen in recent weeks that the climate crisis is a housing issue, it's an equity issue with communities of color and low-income communities bearing the brunt of these problems. We're seeing that it's a health crisis, certainly, but it also relates to national security and trade and agriculture and housing and energy policy, right? So we need a president who's going to prioritize action on the climate crisis and use the power of the president 
to really shape a national response that meets the challenge that we're up against. Too many years, really decades of delay on this issue have backed us into a corner, essentially. We no longer have the time to sort of you know, slowly walk our way through this problem. We need to act boldly and aggressively and act fast to reverse course. You know, the Trump administration is speeding us further and faster into this climate emergency. Things are only going to get worse with another four years if President Trump is reelected. So the most important thing that any American can do this fall, we've got 50 days till the election, is to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as our next leaders because they recognize scientific reality and they will work aggressively and boldly to work our way out of this climate crisis and protect the health of every single American in the process. The governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, uh, said over the weekend, quote, making fires start easier, spread faster and intensify. You're a scientist. Is that correct? Is that the point we're at with this climate uh, change crisis or the neglect and ignoring of the warning signs and addressing the climate change? Is, Is that a direct? Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, we've seen in California, for example, that the area burned annually by wildfires has increased fivefold, 500% since the 1970s. We're talking about an increase in more than 10 million acres burned linked to the climate crisis specifically by scientists. We've got data upon data, piles, mountains of data that show us that a warming planet, and especially in the Western US, drying forests and you know temperature extremes, some of the hottest temperatures ever observed on Earth in Death Valley in recent weeks, are contributing to this problem, and it's only going to get worse unless we act and act boldly. Trump's EPA administrator was in my state, California, less than two weeks ago. He was touting his green accomplishments. I Googled and I couldn't find them. They don't seem to exist. And then last week, the president was in Florida calling himself a great environmentalist. Um, Are these outright lies to the American people? Definitely. Donald Trump and Andrew Wheeler, who leads the Environmental Protection Agency and is a former coal agency, you know, coal industry uh, lobbyist himself, they are, you know, perpetrating unbelievable lies about their record on the environment. In fact, neither of them can point to any solid environmental or health progress that's been made in the last three and a half years. In fact, we've seen that the Environmental Protection Agency, where I used to work, has been basically hollowed out. Hundreds of scientists leaving the agency And the science that that agency is doing is threatened by political interference at every single turn. Just in the last few months, we've seen the agency essentially hit the brakes on the Clean Air Act, the monumental achievement of 50 years ago, a bipartisan law that has helped to extend the lifespan of the average American by more than two years. So denial of science at the Environmental Protection Agency or any other federal agency is deadly. We've seen that through the coronavirus pandemic, and certainly that's true when it comes to the climate crisis. You know, one of the things that we saw in 2016 is Hillary Clinton did not speak to and address the needs of the working class. That's still a big fight. That's what put Trump in the White House. But what I don't understand is why the working class would want Trump at all. I mean, when when you look at the constant and growing hazard uh, for people that are construction workers, road maintenance crews, um, uh, people that are working in the agricultural industry, um, those farm workers dealing with fruits and vegetables and, and nuts that are produced here in California, okay. um, these people are cho- and, and, and first responders who are choking down toxic smoke every time they go to work, every time they walk out the door. 
I'm out of time, but we love having. Would you come back? Because you only were on half the show. Happy to. Um, half of the hour. Um, I would love to have you back. And also, we have our little India connection, so I like you better. <laughs> um, thank, thank you for being with us. Thank and you, uh, if you want to learn more about VJ Lamaye or the NRDC Action Fund, go to the website nrdcactionfund.org and please follow them on Twitter at nrdc underscore af, is in Frank, at nrdc underscore af. We'll take a quick break. Second guest coming up right after this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Hey there, and we're back on Leslie Marshall. Thank you for listening on radio, on stream, on podcast, and watching us on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and Twitter Live, which is Periscope. We are back with our second guest in this hour, and more than a pleasure to have with us, Nina Berlay. Nina is an award-winning national political journalist who covered President Trump for Newsweek, and she's the author of not one, but six books. Her most recent book is entitled The Fatal Gift of Beauty. It was a New York Times bestseller. Now, she's originally from the Midwest. She's lived in and reported from France, Italy, and the Middle East. She's basically living the life I'd like to. Uh, She lives in New York City. I'd love to live all over the world, maybe when uh, I retire. But today we're going to be previewing Nina's brand new book, The Trump Women, Part of the Deal. It'll be released one week from today, September 22nd. So I'm really glad to have Nina with us to get a sneak peek, at least audibly, uh, of that book today. Nina, thank you for joining us and taking the time. I'm sure you're busy with the new book coming out and uh, touring around, even if it's virtually. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you, and you're welcome. Um, Your book examines, well, first of all, why did you decide to write about the Trump women? Why did you decide to write that um, you know, having covered Trump uh, in, in the past uh, for Newsweek, out of all the things Trump, why the women? Well, you know, I had covered uh, conservative and right-wing women off and on since the Palin uh, years. So I had done some reported, John, um, on that movement over the years. And I was in the Hilton on election night at 3 a.m. when um, the president-elect uh, strolled onto, onto the stage in this ballroom, trailed by these five, I guess it was about five women, all sort of dressed alike, all with the same, um, you know, straightened hair and the four inch heels that did, they didn't have to look down to step down the stairs onto the stage. So that suggested such an internal rigor because you and I know how it is to Correct. walk. Like I'm that. not laughing Any because I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> You would act at least look down unless you were trained, unless you had a certain internal rigor and a preparation for television and for being camera ready. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, in the space of an hour, the public face of American womanhood went from the grandmother in a pantsuit mm. to this kind of reality show star ideal woman. And it's a kind of an archaic ideal woman, right? Kind of a showgirl, kind of a, a, so I looked at that and I thought, you know, then then they were trailing this oafish guy who at the time was only two or three weeks away from having had numerous sexual misconduct accusations lobbed at him. And I thought, who are they? And what are they getting out of this deal? And that's how I got into, into it. 
Well, your book examines the details of the forces that shaped not just Trump, but more so his thinking about women. And you chose six women um, who've been closest uh, to the president, correct? Um, can you speak? Can you? I want people to get the book. I don't want you to give everything away. Um, I, I haven't read the whole thing, but what I have read, I really like it. I really dig it. And I don't like every book of every author that I interview here. So I'm saying that quite frankly. Um, why did you pick these uh, six uh, women for, first off? And maybe you could talk a little bit about them. Well, I started off with the ones who were closest to him now, um, the ones that I had looked at, Melania and Ivanka, and the other two wives, uh, Marla and Ivana, mother of his children, mothers of his children. Um, so those, I assume, were the four women closest to him. And then mom and grandma, uh, about which less is known. And uh, I found out some really fascinating things about them. Um you know, the, the, uh, his mother shows up in the 1939, uh, New York census, sorry, 29, I think I've got my dates right in front of me, but she shows up in the census right after arriving here from this Island on the outer Hebrides of Scotland as a maid in the Carnegie mansion. She was 19 years old, and her first job in the United States was as a maid in the family, one of the richest families in the United States. They never bring that up, and it's, you know, they don't even acknowledge it. I don't, you know, it's been, the New York Times picked up on that, so I'm not giving this away. They picked up on that discovery of mine and put it in on the A1 section, and they still never have acknowledged it. And it's such a strange family because, you know, when they went to the to Buckingham Palace and the, the you know the children trooped with him and they met the Queen, any other political operation would have celebrated the fact that the grandchildren of a maid from the British Isles mm. were meeting the Queen of England. That is the American dream in manifest. Well, just like when Barack Obama was president and he went to Ireland, the area of Ireland that his ancestors are from and had a pint with the locals. Um, yeah, that, that you know, that that's what you do. And in addition, with immigration being such a hot button topic yep. politically in an election year, I'm very surprised he doesn't talk about Melania or she doesn't even talk about herself being an immigrant as much as as you would think. Well, I mean, this is a family. The women, you know, the, one of the one of the hallmarks of the of this book is about immigration because Grandma was immigrated from Germany, Mother immigrated from Scotland, the first wife Ivana immigrated from uh, well via Canada. She was from Czechoslovakia in the USSR, and um, uh, Melania comes from Slovenia. So. He's surrounded by immigrants. He is attracted to the accent of, you know, obviously he's attracted to that Slavic accent. Um, and yet they are the most nativist crowd that we've had in the White House for decades. Um, I want to apologize. I was told I mispronounced your last name, uh, that it's Burley. And I think I said Burley, so my, my apologies. Um, I want to talk about we, we see so many different women, like you say. We see Ivanka. It's obvious that she's being groomed, and she has been. Uh, you know, you write in your book since a young age, um, whether it's with the Trump real estate 
uh, other businesses, um, or even now politics. Her mother the other day was being interviewed talking about Ivanka possibly could be the first uh, female uh, president. Um, and I, I, I didn't laugh out loud on that, but uh, especially when her father's been elected, who knows now. Um, but you also look at some other women, his, his two older sisters, uh, one of whom is a, a federal judge, a prominent federal judge, who has spoken very negatively, um, you know, on tape, not knowing, <laughs> I think that she was being taped, uh, about the narcissism and about some other very negative aspects um, of, uh, of her brother. Can you can you speak to maybe some of his um, two sisters and the fact that his two sisters are older and how that perhaps plays into um, his dynamic with women? Sure. Well, I think the key to his dynamic with women really has to do with the father. Uh, Fred Trump was um, almost sociopathically incapable of compassion. Um, his father had died of the Spanish flu, leaving him as a young teen with this immigrant mother who barely spoke English during a uh, very anti-German period in the United States. And he and his mother, his mother actually built, created the Trump organization. Again, Grandma Trump, Elizabeth Trump, German immigrant, written out of the history of the Trump family, created the Trump organization, literally incorporated it. Uh, again, something that any other political operation would, would, would celebrate. So the father was this um, just a hard man and had inherited through his, probably his own mother, a kind of, uh, old world horror about female biology. Um, the, uh, Elizabeth Trump, as you said, um, the, uh, the older sister reported that when she was pregnant, she came home and said, you know, I'm pregnant. And her father said, your mother had five children and never said that word in this household. They, they, so there's this horror, almost like the ancient kind of rabbinical horror of female bodily functions or, or shamanic horror, right? Where it's something primal and it's really the, the roots of misogyny are in that. And so do, do you think, do you think also because his father was incapable, incapable of compassion, um, that, that, that's where his, uh, Donald Trump is, you know, famous for labeling everyone, male or female, but especially female. Do you think that's where it came from? Absolutely. I mean, his, you know, Mary, Mary Trump, the niece has, has, you know, reported that. I mean, that there is a, uh, there's a long, long history there of, uh, you know, his mother was absent, was ill when he was two years old, disappeared from the household for months. That is a very crucial time psychologically in the development of the, of the, of the child. And, you know, this is a man who's incapable of nurturing incapable of compassion, um, narcissism, uh, deep, deep insecurity. All of those things come from the mother really being absent. And then this father kind of training him up to be what he is a, uh, you know, a, somebody who's incapable of kind of normal human, uh, relationships with, uh, with women. I mean, and that is actually not an entirely unusual thing for men of that generation. Let's admit that. Right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Nina Burley. We are talking about her book. I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, if, if you're not fascinated yet, you, you know, you got to get this book. I mean, it's, it's very well written, very well researched, thought out, very interesting topic. Back with our guest, Nina Burley. She is the Trump women part of the deal author. It's going to be released one week from today, September 22nd. Having a good time talking with Nina. Hope you're enjoying our conversation. Nina, thank you for holding 
Uh, welcome back. Uh, so much to talk about. Um, you know, we've, we've touched upon the father, the mother, the grandmother, um, what roles they played in the misogynistic uh, behavior of Donald Trump. Also, he seems to be attracted to immigrant women. People say men marry their mothers, right? Um, I didn't know that Donald Trump had a childhood learning disability. Um, can you, 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 you touch upon that in the book? Um, this seemed to have, you said, overwhelmed his mother, left him uneducated. Can you speak to that? I didn't know about uh, that learning disability. I'm not sure everyone does. Well, it's not, um, you know, we don't have his medical records. What we do have are people uh, analyzing him from a distance. And then we also have, uh, you know, sources within his family, people I've talked to, his niece uh, discusses it also in her book, family members that I talked to, who attest to the fact that he couldn't read, uh, he didn't read. When his book came out, The Art of the Deal, the family joke was, well, Donald must have read one book, uh, <laughs> you know, and he he had uh, not been known to be somebody who could read. He was he he showed all the signs as a child of an, uh, somebody with you know ADHD or a learning disability, the kind of thing that in our generation parents would have jumped on and teachers would have jumped on right away, medicated, pointed out to the parents, you know, this kid needs some help. Uh, but in the 1950s, when he was growing up, the uh, the attitude was much different towards boys and those mm. types of disabilities. The readers, the, the shy reader boys were communists and the ones who were rambunctious and beating each other up on the playground were all, uh, you know, red, white, and blue, uh, boys. And so they didn't look at it as a problem. And until when he was 12 or 13, uh, he got completely out of hand and that's when they shipped him off to this you know, fourth rate military school uh, up in upstate New York, where he was basically pounded into submission by these, you know, abuse, abusive um, rules and regulations and, and violence was encouraged. And, um, and did he ever learn to read? I don't know. I mean, you know, we know from Michael Cohen and his, uh, his own niece that he, uh, did you know he he tried to hide his uh, he threatened the University of Pennsylvania it, it preemptively uh, had had Cohen preemptively threatened Pennsylvania uh, not to release his grades if anybody called and his niece has reported that his sister told her that he hired somebody to take his SAT to, uh, test to, even to get into college so. This is a person who has deep insecurities about reading. Um, I, you know, source on The Apprentice said, you know, he had problems reading uh, the cards that they would hold up. I mean, deep insecurities about, and it's un, it was untreated. And this man is president. So everybody around him knows this, which is what's so amazing. I mean, just it's not just the women who know these secrets about him, the wives, which is part of the book. They all are in. Um, you know, in kind of an enabling position, they don't, they don't talk about, they have NDAs or they're paid mm, off, you know? Right. Um, but the, uh, the people around him know this and it's going to be amazing when all these stories come out after, after it's all over. There's another woman in his life, uh, you touch upon briefly in the book and that's Tiffany. Um, that's his youngest daughter who we never really hear about or see unless she's brought out for, you know, these like, you know, I'm running for office again uh, campaigns. 
Uh, why is that? My understanding is he has really no relationship with her. He writes a check uh, for her education, and uh, that's pretty much it, that he really didn't seem to want to be a part of her life. Uh, to, uh, talk to us about that. Well, I mean, he just he didn't have any use for Marla after Marla, Marla's second wife, mother of Tiffany, after Marla really challenged him and didn't want to be part of the brand and was trying to make him more spiritual. And, you know, she's a spiritualist now. I mean, she those are things that he's an uh, anathema to, you know, they were, right, they were right. like, oh, water. So, and she was maybe cheating on him with a lifeguard or a security guard down in Miami before it all fell apart. So she went to California with that child. And I was told that they didn't see, he didn't see her more than three or four times until she came back East to go to college. So, you know, she, she has all of the issues that you would have if you were that child with this distant father and these these half siblings who were privileged in a way that she wasn't. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't cover her at length because I don't think she had right. much of an influence on him, right. but um, certainly, you know, his treatment of her is um, part and parcel with the way that he treats family members, I think, and women. Yeah. I've heard some horrific things like, you know, he doesn't think she's attractive or her weight, you know, he's very, you know, obviously his rating uh, scale that he has for women and the way he speaks about his uh, daughter, Ivanka, uh, it makes me as a mother and a woman very uncomfortable. Um, Donald Trump and Melania Trump obviously met at some point. Uh, they got married. They have a son, Baron, together. Why is it so hidden when and where and how they've met? Because I know that some secrets you've uncovered and this is one. Well, I don't know why they, she goes to great lengths to keep her, uh, her life story hidden. Um, I mean, Mary Jordan, a Pulitzer Prize winning Washington Post reporter, tried to um, do a whole book about her and said it was the most difficult um, job that she'd ever taken on. Um, she has her past nailed shut. And um, the only thing that I was able to uncover is that the... We suspect that they met earlier than they say they did. Um, they, there's a, the story about how they met was it's 1998. They're at like a Victoria's Secret model party or something. And he was there with another woman and he flirted with her and she told him to give her his number. Um, and so the romance takes off from there. But uh, I talked to a photographer who shot her in 95 or 96 and he is on the record she was talking about how she was donald trump's girlfriend already in 95 or 96 i mean maybe they keep it hidden because he was still definitely married to marla at that point it wasn't fully um he hadn't unraveled that yet um or maybe it has to do with her visa issues and you know the fact whether she was supposed to be here. But I think it really has to do with they just like to invent their past. And he wants to call her a supermodel. And if you actually looked at her, look at her history, you find that there really aren't any pictures of her in any kind of mode that you could consider supermodelish until she hooks up with Donald and he starts getting her what he calls good deals, such as a camel cigarette ad on yeah. the side of a building in Times Square. Um, so, you know, there, there is, um, yes, there's definitely a, uh, a dark period in Melania Trump's life that many of us have looked at that they have gone to great lengths to keep nailed down. And I can't speculate as to what was going on there, but I don't think that she's, um, 
you know, I, I think she definitely wants to keep her privacy private and she may have some good reasons for that and may have to do with immigration, may have to do with other things. In, in doing the research for this book, I think everybody, when they write a book, uh, there are things that they maybe learned that they didn't know or there are surprises. What What's a surprise that you stumbled across or maybe something that you found out that you didn't know or didn't expect to find? Well, I don't want to give everything away. I mean, I do the the um, the big surprise to me was that the grant that the mother was a maid um, yeah. because he, they lie about that. He says she was here on holiday. They don't admit that she was that, you know, that she came here to work as a maid and polished banisters in somebody's in, in the Carnegie Mansion. Um, I think the other thing that kind of surprises me is there's very little attention paid to Ivana, the mother of his children. And. Ivana is an interesting character and deserves more attention. You know, people that I met in Prague uh, at the Center for the Study of Totalitarianism, which studied the Czech regime, the secret police, they're very suspicious about how she got out of uh, the Czechoslovakia when mm. she did. Um, you had to have connections, you know, yeah. and she shows up in New York and all of a sudden she's on the arm of this, uh, this guy, this rising star. She, he would not have ever visited Russia had she not habituated him to the Slavic world, taken him in and out of Czechoslovakia. Her, you know, her son, her oldest son, uh, spoke uh, spoke Czech. Um, I mean, he was habituated to the Slavic world by her. She, he was a provincial guy from Queens. He lives on cheeseburgers and steak. I mean, he doesn't, yeah. you know. So she's an interesting character and people overlook her She because she is sort of a clownish figure. Right. Right. Um, you know, she's got so much plastic surgery and she's old. And of course, misogyny, ageism in Donald keeps her out of the picture because he cannot be photographed next to somebody like that. Right. So, you know, how, she's long, how long were they married? They were married a long, not as long as he and Melania, but um, oh, really? what, 87 to 99? No, not 87. I guess late, late 70s. They got together. And then they split up in about 89. So, oh, wow. you know, about 20 years, I think. Wow, I'm not wow. sure. That's a, that's I think, I think it might have been well, short. I want people to get the, your book. You can pre-order the Trump Women part of the deal on Amazon.com now. Do it now. It's also available both in paperback or the Kindle edition. Get it now. The Trump Women part of the deal. And follow Nina on Twitter at Nina Burley, N-I-N-A-B-U-R-L-E-I-G-H. 2020 took a different path than we expected but it definitely didn't slow our pace. Planet M has helped private and public entities work together to advance the future of mobility technology along a challenging course. Working together has been the key to staying on the right path. So whether you're just getting started or already an industry leader, Planet M is your connection to Michigan's mobility ecosystem and our future. If you're ready to make a move with your business, see how we can help at planetm.com slash pure hyphen partnership. As we reopen, don't you want your pocket of America to still feel like its own? Where places with the best barbecue, or where you can dress like a rock star, or the one with the biggest donut, are finding new ways online and in person to be there for you. A small town feeling where your friends, instead of that chain, still recommend their guy. So, when you bring your idea to everyone, remember, GoDaddy is here to help you make it happen with websites, marketing tools, and guidance for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com.